following sermon is from the archives of Dr. Stephen Olford. It was preached during his distinguished ministry at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Our sermon series, Christmas Characters. Today, the mystery of Christmas, Mary, the mother of Jesus. The text, Luke 2, verses 26 through 28. Now, here is Dr. Stephen Olford. Dear Lord, we bow in thy presence to ask for that illumination of the Holy Spirit that we may truly discover here tonight who thou really art. Amidst all the confusion, the darkness, the ignorance, in many senses the apathy and hostility, we pray thee that the Lord Jesus, this Christ of Christmas, may be unveiled to our eyes, discovered to us, made real in us this very night. So speak in the stillness of these closing moments from thy holy word. Encourage those who are thine. Restore those who are wandering. And encounter with a living, saving message those who don't know who you are. We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. You turn with me to the Gospel by Luke, chapter 1, and verse 26 through 38. Last Sunday night, I had the privilege of introducing a new series here over this Christmas period entitled Christmas Characters. Christmas Characters. And in one sense, I wish we had a longer Christmas period so as to be able to cover all the characters that cluster around this time of the nativity. Last week we were thinking of Joseph illustrating the history of Christmas. Tonight we shall think of Mary illustrating the mystery of Christmas. The story of the nativity is shrouded in mystery. God has chosen it to be so. And the two essential ingredients in mystery are secrecy and sacredness. Secrecy and sacredness. And we're going to discover that this was true of the life of Mary and of the birth of Jesus. To the unaided and unenlightened mind, the story of Mary is the story of a legend. A nice, pretty, beautiful little legend and nothing more. To those whose minds are still cruder, the story of Mary is the story of a very cleverly concealed piece of premarital unchastity in which Joseph was the participating party. But such thoughts are totally blasphemous. And such insinuations merely pale into nothingness when we come to this beautiful story with all the illumination and interpretation of the Holy Spirit. And there's no more romantic story, no more credible story to the Christian mind 
than the story of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. This mystery then has a message for you and for me. And very simply tonight I want to take it in two parts. First of all what I'm going to call the secrecy of Mary's selection by God. The secrecy of Mary's selection by God. We read that in the sixth month the angel Gabriel sent from God came to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. The secrecy of the selection by God. The wonderful thing about this story is that it suddenly happens. We know prophecy has foretold the great events that are about to take place, but men were ignorant of it. As Larry Small was singing just now, they did know who he was, and they certainly did know when he was coming. Some of the doctors had already investigated. Some of the sons of consolation and women of consolation were anticipating, but they did know who he was. But all of a sudden in that secret way in which God does everything, the creation of the world, the preservation of the world, the act of redemption, secretly, secretly, he came in the person of an angel to a woman called Mary who was a virgin. The mystery of it. And the miracle happened. Think of the mystery in three senses. First of all, what I'm going to call the sovereignty of the selection. It was a sovereign selection. The selection of Mary was sovereign. We read again to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel suddenly appeared. Now I'm quite sure Mary, that beautiful little girl, must have been one of the most charming Hebrew girls who ever walked the hills of Nazareth had a hope in her heart like any virgin girl would that possibly, possibly she might be the honored one to be the instrument for the bringing to birth of the Messiah. It was something cherished by girls but they didn't know when it would happen and they didn't know how it would happen. But God in his sovereignty God in his sovereignty in that secret way in which he works came upon that little girl and chose her to be the mother of Jesus. The sovereignty of it. But you know that's how God always works. That's how God always works. Speaking to a very intellectual theologian, Jesus Christ said, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can charter the journey that that little breeze will take. You can't make out the schedule for the wind that blows across your backyard. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. I preach the message of the gospel here tonight to men and women who've gathered on this wintry night. But bless you, 
I don't know, I can't tell how God is going to move. His movements are sovereign. He may blow upon your life and bring to the very door of your heart the reality of a living Christ. You can resist him, you can reject him, but it's the sovereign act of God to move only as he wills. You can't determine it. He chose Mary. You're going to be the instrument for the bringing to pass the great prophecies of the scriptures, the redemptive purpose of God. He chose. Later on, the Lord Jesus Christ could look into the face of his disciples and enunciate the great truth. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. The secret selection of Mary by God, it was a sovereign selection. The selection of Mary was sovereign. And I want to say to young people here this evening, to older people here this evening, God always works like that. You can't organize your salvation. You can't organize your encounter with God. You'll never drift into it. God works sovereignly and when he confronts that life of yours, for God's sake, respond. For that's the moment of destiny for you. Mary's selection was not only sovereign, however, I want you to notice that Mary's selection was saving. It was saving. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. As beautiful and charming and pure and virgin as was Mary, I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, right in the context of New York City, I want to remind you in the context of so-called distorted religious ideas that Mary, beautiful and lovely and noble and virgin as she was, was a sinner of Adam's race and needed the salvation of God, needed the favor of God, needed Salvation in her own experience. And she herself admits it in that glorious Magnificat. My spirit doth rejoice in God, my Savior. And God's act upon that Mary was a sovereign one. Was a saving one. It would have been totally contradictory for her to be the channel of a saving Christ without her experiencing the saving Christ. And that's why the angel said, listen carefully, thou art highly favored, thou art endued with grace. And again, thou art blessed amongst women. The grace of God had saved her. The grace of God had sustained her. The grace of God had preserved her. The grace of God had prepared her for that moment of destiny.
to be the instrument through whom Jesus Christ would be born. It was a saving selection. And so the angel said, the angel Gabriel said, Thou shalt call the child's name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, and he shall be great, the son of the highest. And upon the throne of his father David shall he reign, and over the house of Jacob shall his kingdom stretch and be forever and forever. And I want you to point out, and I want to point out the wonderful reality of this savingness of the selection of God. I want you to notice that there was a saving name attached to what God did in that woman's life that day. A saving name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And beloved friends, yes, and members and visitors here this evening, I want to tell you that that's the message for Christmas. That's the message for this hour. Supremely men need a savior. Personally, they need a savior. Socially, they need a savior. Internationally, we need a savior. And I want to say it with special emphasis tonight. Nationally, we need a savior. As I was saying to the young people last night, after a briefing I had for nearly 40 minutes concerning the concerns of our land at this time, and what is taking place undercover in our own city. I tell you, it haunted me throughout the hours of the night. I hardly was able to get to sleep because of that haunting sense of where our country is going. When I read just the other day that in the month of October, every seven hours a man was murdered, a person was murdered, a child was murdered. Every seven hours of the entire month of October in New York City alone. When I learned only this week that practically all, all the great businesses and concerns from hotels, motels to business houses are under the power of a strange force. It's known as the mafia and the underground ramifications of this are terrifying. While they suck their big cigars in big houses off the island. Hell is being let loose in our city. We need a savior. We need deliverance. We need the act of God in saving men from sin. And it's a long time we quit talking about it and went into action to introduce the only one who can save men and women from their sins. The selection of Mary was a sovereign one. The selection of Mary was a saving one. Because if Mary is going to be the instrument of blessing to the world, it must be associated with the saving name. Not only the saving name, but the saving life of Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And my friends, before you can receive what he gives, you must bow to what he is. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. 
Let us remember that when we talk of Christmas, we talk of the Lord Jesus. And when we talk of the Lord Jesus, we talk of God contracting to the measure of a woman's womb. We're talking about God breaking into the stream of life. We talk about Almighty God with all his omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence and eternity. God who cannot be captured in any place or any building or even any life. For he's greater than his creation. He's beyond it and above it. It's God who came into time. We're not talking just about some mythical legend or story. He should be great, the son of the highest. Yes, this saving work is associated with a saving name, a saving life. Yes, and a saving reign. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob upon the throne of his father David forever and forever. And I want to remind you that Jesus Christ was the only one who was ever born king. Men who are born down through the great royal lines are born as princes, born as princes, never as king. They're crowned as king. Only Jesus Christ was born as king. They asked, where is he that is born king? He was born to be king. He lived to be king. He died as king. He rose as king. He reigns as king. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And his work will never be complete until he's brought under his own dominion everything that Adam lost in Eden and everything that you and I have forfeited by reason of sin. And salvation is meaningless until we bow in total sovereignty, total submission to the sovereignty of the king of kings and lord of lords. The message of Mary then is the message of selection, a secret selection by God, because it was sovereign, because it was saving, because it was supernatural, supernatural. And the angel answered and said unto her, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Here is the mystery of mysteries. Here is the mystery of mysteries. But notwithstanding a mystery, the greatest reality in all the scriptures. For if I have not a Christ born of a virgin, I have not a Christ who is supernatural or sinless and therefore a Christ who can never save me. The seed of a woman, Revelation 3.15, shall bruise the head of the serpent. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, says the flaming prophet Isaiah 800 years before. And here it is again. Thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And how can this thing be since I know not a man? And with delicacy and beauty, the answer comes from heaven through the angel. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. If I believe the Bible at all, if I believe the Bible at all, I must 
to be absolutely consistent, believe in the virgin birth. I must believe that though the process of birth was natural, the initiation of that birth was supernatural, and that the seed of the woman was united with the pre-incarnate life of God. And as Dr. Luke, this great medical man, this scholar, this historian tells us, there's only one answer to it. It can't be explained. It's totally outside of man. The Holy Ghost shall envelop thee. The Holy Ghost shall empower thee. And that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The mystery of Christmas is right there. So we have the secrecy of the selection of Mary by God. A selection which was sovereign, saving, and supernatural. And I want to say, my friend, before you can ever become an instrument of blessing within the sphere in which you move, before Jesus Christ will ever break through that life of yours to become a savior to men and women, first in you, then through you, the work has to be supernatural. Supernatural. We're being told today that the only way to get to grips with the issues in the ghetto, the issues on our campuses, the issue in industry, is to beat the drum, to break out into protests, to strike to take every form of action that we're seeing so popular today. But I'm going to tell you this. The only way this country will ever be brought back to where it ought to come is by a supernatural act of God. Revival through his people. I sat absolutely astounded and moved to the depths of my being for nearly two to three hours the other afternoon with Dr. Edwin Orr. A man who has a string of earned degrees long enough to encompass all we need in this room tonight. And he was telling me of the research he's just done which absolutely baffles me because I never realized, I never realized that even at my age, even at my age, I can almost touch the revival movements that swept this world. And he's just finished a mammoth book or manuscript in which he tells of the revivals that swept this country, that swept Wales, that swept England, that swept Ireland, that swept South America and India and South Africa. And they're documented with every evidence for anyone to see was the moving, cleansing power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the only answer to our hour, our hour, for the president right down to the common man. And this can only happen when God the Holy Ghost comes upon his people and does the supernatural work in every life. That's the message of Christmas. And that's the mystery of Christmas. But we come to our second consideration with the secret selection of Mary by God. I want us to look at the sacred submission of Mary to God. The sacred submission of Mary to God. My two points and that's all they are. But I can't tell you what this second one means to me. And Mary looked up into the face of the angel and said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. I know a supernatural work is going to happen in me. I can't explain it. I've never known a man 
I'm only a spouse to Joseph. A year has to... I hear a year has to elapse before we can even be married. Unless by command I'm brought into his life. How can it happen? The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. For with God all things are possible. And she looked up into the face of Gabriel the angel and she said, Be it unto me according to thy word. I don't know anything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that's more choice and complete on the subject of submission than those words. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. This is it. Be it unto me according to thy word. Mary could have looked up to Gabriel and could have said, Listen, my life is my own. I'm engaged to be married. If this happens in my life, you're going to spoil all my plans. In any case, I cannot confess this to Joseph. As much as I love Joseph, he would never believe me. And as for my neighbors, I'm going to be called an immoral woman. I'm going to suffer shame and sacrifice. After all, can I not determine my own destiny? Why should I have my life interfered with? Why? Why? Why should I be chose, chosen for a pathway like this? I know what it's going to mean. A sword is going to pierce my heart. But she never said a word like that. She looked up into the face of Gabriel, I repeat, and said, Be it unto me according to thy word. If you can match that for a definition of submission and response, you show me it anywhere. Well, what was the character of her submission? Three thoughts and I'm done. Here it's first of all. Mary responded first of all to the favor of God. Mary responded to the favor of God. Underscore the word favor. Mary responded to the favor of God. The angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, art thou amongst women. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Favor with God. I'm telling you, Mary heard that word. Thou art favored. Thou art graced. God has conferred upon you his grace and honored you to be the instrument through whom his redemptive purpose is going to be brought about. And Mary just paused a moment and recognized the wonder of it all. And she said to herself, I don't care what it costs in terms of shame. I don't care what it costs in terms of suffering. I don't care what it costs in terms of sacrifice. If God has thus favored me, if God has thus bestowed upon me his grace, I can't do anything else then utterly submit. Be it unto me according to thy word. And I want to say, young man, young woman, if you're going to be the man God destined you to be in your contemporary age, I care not what circle in which you move. It's only going to be as you're totally surrendered to the will of God. And I'm going to tell you something. You'll never surrender your life to the will of God until you recognize the measure in which God has favored you. The measure in which God has favored you. That's the whole argument of Paul in that mighty theological treatise we call the Roman epistle. Having moved right through chapter after chapter to show that out of condemnation and sin and degradation in God and in Christ man is justified, man is sanctified, man is glorified. Paul says considering all these mercies I beseech you therefore brethren that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice 
wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I'm going to tell you, whenever I find unwillingness in the heart of any man to totally yield everything to God, with that unwillingness, I find a corresponding ungratefulness. And if that life of yours, young woman, young man, older person here tonight, if that life of yours isn't totally, I mean totally, yielded to the will of God, you're ungrateful. Mary couldn't get over it that she should be chosen to be the instrument for the expression of the very life of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And she said, I don't care what scorn, I don't care what shame, I don't care what sacrifice, I have to suffer. Be it unto me according to thy word. And there's nobody who's ever done anything down through the centuries in any realm whatsoever who hasn't said the same thing. It's out of gratitude, out of gratitude, out of a sense of being favored by God, out of a sense of being engraced, that we say, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. So she responded, Mary did. She responded to the favor of God. But secondly, she responded to the message of God. She responded to the message of God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. The more I thought about this, the more I'm convinced I'm right in saying that in essence, that's the total message of the gospel. Thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name, spell out his name as Jesus. Do you know what that means? It simply means this. The message of the angel to Mary was this, that God has invaded time. God has invaded time. God has entered into the stream of human life. And as he has done this, he's become a saving factor, an operative factor in history. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Mary, that life of yours is only going to be an instrument through whom God is going to move by becoming flesh and through you become a savior, a redeemer to a lost world. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Mary heard that message and she responded to that message. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. And I want to say the measure of your surrender, my friend, whoever you are, is not only your response to the favor of God, it's your response to the message of God. To the message of God. Do you believe that 2,000 years ago, in Bethlehem, Jesus really was born. Do you believe that 2,000 years ago at Calvary, Jesus was crucified? Do you believe that 2,000 years ago he rose from the dead triumphant over sin and hell and that he rose to the highest station heaven affords from there to pour out his spirit and to work mighty things, mighty miracles, in our contemporary life, in every generation? Do you believe it? Well, have you submitted to it? Are you sold out to the gospel? I mean, are you sold out to the gospel? It's one thing to have over our doorway here, Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. It's another thing to believe it. It's another thing to be sold out to it. It's another thing to say, I'm not going to preach anything else. 
And even if I work, that's only to pay expenses to make Christ alive to my contemporary age. She responded to the favor of God. She responded to the message of God, the sacred submissiveness of Mary to God. But finally, and in closing, she responded to the Spirit of God. She responded to the Spirit of God. The angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. My friends, listen for a moment. Listen for a moment. You can't read that text without seeing a tremendous truth behind it. God could have never said this to Mary through Gabriel the angel unless, unless Mary was absolutely prepared to yield to the empowering, the enveloping of God the Holy Spirit. He presupposes a total submission of the human personality. The total submission of the human personality. The Greek has it, the Spirit of God shall envelop you. The Spirit of God shall envelop you. Deity will clothe itself with humanity. The Spirit of God shall empower you. And this could never happen without a total submission on the part of Mary to the Holy Spirit. Indeed, Pentecost was hardly over when one of the apostles got up and made a statement that constitutes the central truth concerning the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. God gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey him. God gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey him. God gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey him. And let me tell you, obedience is either total or no obedience at all. As Dr. William Fitch of Toronto Knox Presbyterian Church said with devastating, penetrating power at a convention in which I shared the ministry, he said this, and I believe it with all my heart. Defective disobedience is in point of fact total disobedience. For if we obey in all points, yet offend in one, we're guilty of it all. As far as Mary knew it, as far as Mary knew it, and as far as you know it tonight, that little girl looked up into the face of Gabriel and said, Be it unto me according to thy word, whatever the Holy Spirit wants, I am holy and totally yielded. I've counted the cost. Whatever it means, I'm sold out to the Holy Spirit. The hymnist has captured this in the most beautiful and profound way when he writes and we sometimes sing, alas, so glibly, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold all my being. Absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit. Till all shall see. Christ only. Always. Living in me. The sacred submission. Of Mary to God. Submission to the favor of God. Submission to the message of God. Submission to the Spirit of God. And the ministry 
of Mary came out of the mystery of Mary. The mystery became a message. And God works the same way in your life and mine. If this Christmas is going to be Christmas in the deepest sense of that term, if Jesus is to be born in human hearts, if Jesus is to be spelled out in your life, if Jesus is to be seen in your eyes, heard from your lips, sensed in your presence, if Jesus Christ is going to be spelled out once more in this century in which we live, I'm going to tell you how it happened. It's because you've responded to the favor of God, the message of God, and supremely to the Spirit of God. And you bowed, as it were, at the throne of Jesus Christ, and you said, Be thou Lord, and by thy Holy Spirit fill this life to overflowing. Fill me, Lord. Anoint me, Lord. Envelop me. Empower me. Till Christ, and Christ only, is seen in me. That's the mystery of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. Last week I asked, will you be a Joseph? Will you be a Joseph? A character of Christmas. Tonight I ask, will you be a Mary? Will you be a Mary? Will you let God choose you in his sovereign, saving, supernatural way? And having chosen you, will you submit? Will you yield to his favor, to his message, to his spirit? And be the channel through whom Emmanuel, God with us, God with it, comes through in all the saving name and life and work of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, seal with thy Holy Spirit every true response to this great concept, this great message, this gospel of Christmas. Forgive the inadequacies in trying to communicate it. But Lord, by thy Holy Spirit, interpret it and apply it and implement it. And grant that from this gathering here tonight may go out into the darkness and the snowy streets of our city men and women in whom and through whom Jesus is going to be born and shared. We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also 
may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.